This is Ben Random and this is Loose Lips. If you're unfamiliar with what Loose Lips is, it's a chat show here on Instagram Live where I speak with a wide range, varying different personalities and people looking to uplift the spirits of those who tune in and share and spread some beautiful optimism through these times for you to take forward in your journey. So I'm going to be speaking right now with a gentleman by the name Peter Trivunovich. I'm going to ask him if I pronounce that right, actually, but he is an independent filmmaker amongst other things. So we're going to have a little chat, see all things Pete. He's joined the group. So if he sends me the invite and then we'll be ready to roll. Shout out Danny Lawler and shout out Danny Mottram. Danny Mottram, you're becoming a bit of a regular on here. I respect it. Here he is, he sent the invite. Connecting. Just waiting for it to connect now. Shout out anybody who's leaving any comments as well. Thank you all, thank you all. Here he is, how are you doing? Not bad, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I didn't know... I've it... made it. I've hit the big time. <laughs> well, I had to... You know what, right? If at first you don't succeed, just try again. Because I had to try and try and try for you. It was, it was uh, my chat with Harry, wasn't it? That uh, got you on board. Yeah, I watched it in the bath and I was like, this, is, this is quality entertainment. That's so uh, when... I thought I had to get involved. When, you, when you're in the bath as well, that's when you properly relax. So that's when I know you've not just made it like... If you're on toilet on phone, sometimes it's impulsive. But in the bath, you've got time to like relax and think about it. Yeah, I was in it. I was fully in it. <laughs> How are you getting on, brother? How are you finding this whole scenario? Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, obviously it's a horrible situation for loads of people, but... Um, I'm actually finding it really, really positive. Like I'm, you know, getting lots of, uh, lots of productive stuff done, trying to get some projects off the ground. So that's good. You know, when we first met, uh, the main reason was one of your own projects. And I know you've gone on to be working on some of the biggest sort of soaps in, in the history, basically. <laughs> Picked it up then, didn't I? Built it up and built it up. But they are, they are, like they are. You play it down, but it's the truth. But... Does that take away from the uh, the time that you get to spend on your own projects? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like before I before I started working full time, I, I used to be freelancing film and TV, and that you'd have like big windows of time in between shoots where you could like work on your own stuff. But uh, yeah, obviously nine to five, it's you you have a lot less time, and even at the end of the day, you knackered and it, it can be hard to like get into a project so was this giving you that window to then catch up in that and then you know has it then giving you that zest for it as well like do you think when it goes back to being everybody been let out do you think you'll still be able to be on it with those projects or do you think this is a window to get <clears> finished no i think uh i think obviously once stuff goes back to normal i'll still need to be uh chipping away at it but um, yeah, I've definitely, I'll have got the train on the track during this time, so it, it shouldn't be as much work. That's what uh, I feel. Once stuff goes back to normal, I feel like it's fanning the flame. I feel like that's what I feel like it is. It's you know, the, it never goes yeah. out. It never goes out, but sometimes it exactly. just like 
dwindle a bit, but now I feel like it's just fanning it and it's, it's a big inferno that's coming through. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, what are you able to give away any any exclusives on what the current projects are? Uh, are you writing or is it somebody else's projects that you're looking to help produce? Uh, it's written. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short film. Um, it's a bit of a bleak subject, really, but uh, important nonetheless. Um, it's based on a news story I heard um, in July, I think it was, about um, teenagers in London, uh, some as young as like 14, um, administering surgery on themselves, uh, like sewing themselves up after being stabbed to avoid going to hospital. What? Um, uh, so obviously that's quite a bleak subject, but um, on the other hand, I've always been like attracted to like self-surgery scenes in movies, like in No Country for Old Men or like The Born Identity. It's kind of like a mini trope of its own, and it's like, whoa, these this guy's so badass, he can, like, so completely together. deal with everything, like, uh, and I just thought in this new context, it's, like, a scene we're familiar with seeing, but suddenly it seems a lot more alarming and less, kind of, exciting. Especially when you look at the fallout of why they're not going, is because, A, they'll get in trouble, or the other people, you know, like, it's such a, a weird, like, paranoia that's probably playing on them, as well as the yeah. stress of just being stabbed. And I think, especially, it's especially important because they're like, you know, the the story was about minors, and you know, even if you know the person doesn't want to go to the hospital because they have they are culpable, committed a crime or something, still as a society, like we, there's a reason that we don't um, like prosecute minors with the full strength of the law. It's because we have agreed as a society that you know their action we're somewhat responsible for their actions like they're not fully responsible for their actions yet so if there's kids out there in, involved in gang violence stabbing each other like we need to ask ourselves what what you know what have we done wrong like how can how can we fix the situation so do you think that's some form of the subplot of the of the bigger narrative that people will take away from it i hope so i mean it, 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 it in terms of the message or like the political message or whatever we're, I'm really going to leave the audience to make up their own decisions. And the film kind of just starts with this young boy arriving home with knife wounds. And we just kind of follow him for the next six minutes as he tends to his wounds. And then that's kind of the end of the film. It's like a real self-contained little scene. And, you know, hopefully I'd like the audience to, that'll trigger some thoughts in the audience and they'll come away with, uh, either wanting to have a discussion or, or with, you know, with a particular message in mind. When you come to creating um, films, how do you decide if it's going to be a short story or if it's going to be a feature length? Because obviously I know from the outset that sounds a bit daft because people could just say, well, it's the words, it's the pages on the script that, that sort of um, decide that. But yeah. there's a lot of nuances in um, in films, isn't there? Where you know, the, I just saw that swing up and that was clever. But there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances in film where you might be sat in a car with a character for three minutes of a of a, of a scene. So you could easily extend a short film yeah. into a feature, and likewise, you could easily strip a feature down to the most impactful scenes. So how, yeah. when it comes to you, do you decide for which you wanting to do out of them? Um, 
like the first project I ever did was with my brother and my friend Christy. We we made a a feature um, feature length documentary about um, about a busker and his rivalry with another busker in Leeds. And at the time, we didn't really give any thought to oh, should it be a short? Should it be a feature? We just kind of started filming, and um, it like three or four years later, the project finally was finished. And off the back of that, it means that you, when I come to a project now, it's like you give a lot more thought to like what should the length of this project be? Because I'm not I'm not going to carelessly give away three years, four years to a project unless I'm like absolutely in love with it and think it's worth that much time. So, yeah, most of the things I'm, I'm, I'm working on at the moment are like short, short projects that can be done inside of a year. And then if it works, great. If not, you're on to the next one and you've not spent too much time. It's got a trippy door. <laughs> say, say no more, cuz. Say no more, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> so, it'd be funny if it was like literally a string on your arm. That's what's happening every time you drink. It's a string on your arm that's, that's doing it. And that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my... It's my mum. She wants to. Uh, she wants to watch. But I don't think she can figure out how to watch it on her phone. So she's just coming to get the live, uh, the live version. Oh, bless! I love that. That's but I've sent her out. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But no, no. So coming back to um, the difference between them, because this is only by speaking with different people from different sectors while doing these loose lips. I've really had it painted to me the, the behind the scenes of a film. So. When I think of it being made, I never really gave it much thought, the pre-production and the post-production. So, like you yeah. say, a project might take a couple of days to film, but even as a short, as you said, it could take months, even a year, to, to get it to where you wanted to be and put out. Yeah. Like the last, the last short I did. Uh... The award-winning short that you did. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'll let you... I'll... <laughs> Uh, so that was like, um, yeah, probably over a year spent working on that from, from having the first idea to filming it, then getting it finished and then, you know, uh, you know, finish its festival run. So that was, you know, even a short project can take up a lot of time as, and, as, they, you know, it takes a lot of work. Are they satisfying? Are they as satisfying? You know, you've sort of gone in, you've done your full feature length. I know that there's a lot of people that, uh, generally start with short so that they can put it on their um, sort of portfolio to then look to get funding to the trust of building up to features but you've sort of gone in with features uh you know you the way that you crowdfunded it and real got a community of support around it and just the whole just the whole idea of it man it was just rock and roll it was cool like i really i really buzzed off like i i, yeah, I, remember, I remember seeing you at the premiere well that's it you know i really love surrounding myself by, around creatives and i i vicariously lived through that experience i was like they've done it like it's such a like hat off moment they've done it it's mad respect and it's like you started <laughs> there but you've realized the time of length that goes into something like that so you're now coming to shorts but surely it's to build back up to do features again so are the shorts as satisfying in that sense i think with, with the with the busking turf it was because it was a mockumentary 
it was like it afforded you the opportunity for it to look kind of shit and rough around the edges and the camera work can be a bit junky because it's like a in the fake world of the film it's these guys following this busker and they don't know what's going to happen but it, you know if i was to make another feature film uh, that wasn't a mockumentary that was just like a traditional narrative you i wouldn't be as happy with it looking as shit as that <laughs> i think with a with a short film you you kind of get to real focus on making it look and feel as professional as you want and and you know aiming for it to be on a par with kind of movies i love um so yeah i think unless it it would take an awful lot of money for me to make a feature and you know to be to to get it to the standard that i would want and is that is that still sort of the stepping stone though, where you're wanting to get to be back to making features, but as you say, have a bit more of a budget and maybe a, more of a refined narrative? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd love to um, I'd love to make a, a feature film, but it's uh, just need to keep not keep you know plowing away and hope hope that sometimes an opportunity comes around. I noticed that when you again award winning your last shot. Um, and it was at the Leeds Film Festival. You were stood with a gentleman. Um, are you now starting to get like a regular sort of crew that you work with? Like, have you sort of found the, the right people that you you want to be creating with? Yeah. Well, Ibrahim, the the lead in the Shakespeare adaptation, the the short film, I met him on the the previous thing I'd done, a TV pilot that you were in. Yeah, yeah. Treading. Uh, um, and then off the back of that, we were just keen to do another project together because he had kind of supporting role in that in that uh, pilot. So yeah, we got together again, and he was great to work with again. And I do kind of work with the same actors again and again, and crew as well. Um, just because if you have a positive experience with someone, it's a if you work with someone new, it's a it's a risk. And you can just as easily work with someone that you know, like, yeah, we, we worked really well together. Do you write with them in mind then, uh, in a sense of, is um, it Ibrahim, did you say? Ib Sorry, you cut out then. Uh, uh, yeah. Whoa, where's he gone? <laughs> yeah, Ib Ibrahim, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ibrahim, sorry. So, yeah, um, now that you know, like, him and you get to speak with him and maybe have discussions about the wide range that he has and... Uh, do you then tend to find projects with him in mind or like, for example, the one you're on about with the knife wounds, how's that been created? You know, is who's written that script and has it been written with him in mind? Is he involved in it? No, I mean, no, I do have an, another project I'll tell you about that, that uh, I've got him in mind for, but no, the, the knife crime one, it's, it's, um, it's like a 14 year old boy. So I don't think his uh, acting skills are quite to the level where he can <laughs> convince us he's a, a, a minor. He's not James Van um, Beek. No, <laughs> uh, but no, I was actually looking at um, the first ever moving image. The first ever film was filmed in Leeds. Um, yeah, yeah. Louis uh, Le Prince. Louis Le Prince, yeah. There was one in uh, Round Air Gardens and then one on Leeds Bridge. Yeah. And then another one he filmed his mate playing in the accordion, or his brother, I think. Um, and I was reading up about this Louis Le France and um, he actually went missing. Yeah. Like, no one, no one knows what happened. He went missing in strange circumstances. Have you heard the conspiracy? And, well, it, he went missing on my birthday, September 16th. 
Me? So that's I just like another like cool element as well. Really? Oh. Let's drink to Tupac. <laughs> far out from far out some party. Yeah, for my homies. But no, um, but, but, but yeah, but, I was looking at this. I was looking at a picture of um, Louis Le Prince, and it looks remarkably like Ibrahim. And I think in this, like, you know, now colourblind casting is like something that's, you know, quite, done quite often. Like there was that newest um, David, Copperfield, Cop David Copperfield film with Dev Patel in the lead role. And uh, like the new BBC adaptation of Les Mis was like completely colourblind cast. And I think it, we're in a time now where I could just cast a, a South Asian as this Frenchman <laughs> and like no one would care. Is he from Leeds? Ibrahim, uh, uh, no, he's from your neck of the woods. He's from Bradford. Hey, but he's still West Yorkshire, so it'd still, it'd still be good, like, playing that, like, because it is... I think it's one of those. I always see the plaque and I always give it an acknowledgement, but I don't think a lot of people really know the backstory to it. And I think if you think about important and everywhere motion pictures are in society and that it was birthed in Leeds, like... That, that should be one of the biggest things that the city should be known for. Yeah, I know, exactly. But the, the so the story goes that um, he, there used to be these um, worldwide conventions. So when Edison and Tesla were having Tesla, beef yeah. with AC and DC, that's where Tesla went to show that his current was a lot, you know, more uh, energy efficient than Edison's. And what Edison did is he, he's, he's proper tight this, I'm not the whole high I'm laughing, but it's just a crazy <laughs> thing. But it leads on to Louis. Um, basically what Edison did is he paid people to steal the pets of the village or the city where the uh, convention was happening. And then he says, look, these pets died by uh, Tesla's electric, electric. And he was electrocuting them. But if any electric's gonna do that, but the way that he spun it with the propaganda was, yeah. he's got bad electric, don't use it. So that uh, put Tesla's out for a bit. But the reason I link it up is because now that you know the form of Edison, the rumour is that when um, Louis Le Prince went to trademark the rights of motion pictures, he went missing mysteriously. And then who cashed in the motion pictures? Uh, it was Edison. So yeah. there's a conspiracy around maybe Edison had him bumped off so that he could, uh, yeah. allegedly, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe maybe we can find a part for you in it. Maybe you can play Edison. I mean, I'll be Edison. I'd love to be Edison. Just like give me some wily eyebrows. Just like I'd be a bad boy, Edison, mate. I'm telling you, yeah. I'd be gangster. That I'd be well yeah, up yeah. for that. But you know, going back to the forming of that, then so it comes from an idea. Are you are you a writer as well? Then are these projects that you were writing? Not really. I wrote the knife crime one because there's like two lines of dialogue in it. And it's mostly just action and that I can write because I'm just writing what I want to see. But as soon as people start talking, I, I, I can't write that. What, it like just, dialogue? It just, yeah, yeah, it just sounds shit to me. Like, there's like two lines of dialogue in the, in the knife crime film and I was happy writing them. But as, if it's like a film that's driven by, you know, conversations by people interacting, um, I just hate whatever I write. Someone's just... So, uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, so I'd have to... Uh, <laughs> Coys can play Edison. He'd make a great Edison. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to find someone for someone to write that project, I think. So, um, you know, where would you say your strengths lie then within the filmmaking process? And would you get involved with... Would you 
maybe not write essentially, but if it's an idea like you just had there, would you sit in, in the writing uh, process of it? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to, you know, develop it with a writer and kind of us work on it together. Um, there's another project that I'm, I've got a writer working on at the moment that, you know, we're kind of, I just read it. Each time he writes a draft, I read it and then say, oh, I like this, I don't like this bit. So it's, yeah, it's a good, um, good relationship to have. Um, in terms of my strengths, oh, I don't know. Um, I think the, like, staging of a scene like that, The Strangers Case, that all takes place in one room and there's about six different groups of people and we filmed it all out of order. So kind of staging that and making sure everyone was in the right place at the right time and you always knew where you were in the scene. I think that was really tricky, but I was happy to, you know, I feel like it worked in the end. Have you been to uni for that sort of experience or has all this come through the back of um, Busking Surf Wars and you're sort of learning as you go and it's just how you feel fits that works within the scenes? Because it's clearly working. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I went to uni in, in uh, Leeds. I went to Northern Film School um, and did uh, screenwriting and cinematography as my specialisms, neither of which I do at all anymore. <laughs> so, you know, um, I think one of the things that Busking Surf Wars would have given you as well is that whole getting it into festivals. Yeah. Like, you'd think that the hardest bit is getting the film done, but it's actually getting it seen. Yeah. Well, What's me that and process my brother, like? Me and my brother and Christy, we, like, had such a blast going around to film festivals with that film, and, like, we had no business being there because we made the movie for, like, literally no money at all. And then the next thing, we're in a film festival in Texas or in Canada or, you know, in Vermont. And... um yeah, we just, we obviously, we never knew when this was going to happen again. So we all just got as much of it as, out of it as we could, like went to every festival and, you know, met as many people as we could and really, you know, made the most of it. Um, so that was good. But we, we was, when we sent it off to festivals, when we got the first yes back, we were so surprised because, like, we'd, we'd worked on it for so long. And obviously, we knew that it cost nothing and we knew that you know, how much of it was shot, like, this was shot in 2012, this was shot in 2015. We knew it was like, to us it made no sense. So the fact that someone was like, yep, this is a film, we'll put this on at our festival, it was just such a surprise to us. Was that hard to stitch? Because, you know, different years, so much can change within that, within people's um, appearance. Yeah, like, loads of the movie takes place on Brigitte, and, like, the amount that Brigitte has changed from 2012 to <laughs> 2015, you wouldn't believe. Like, by the time we were shooting, like, the last... I went to, on, like, one of the few last bits we shot was, like, me just getting general views of people on Brigitte just, like, busking and looking around and stuff. And, like, I was so limited in where I could point the camera because, like, that whole new Topman yeah. frontage, Victoria Gate, that was all there, that wasn't there to start with. And there were just so many shops that didn't exist anymore. Do you think that these are um, issues and sort of hurdles that now that you've tackled, obviously pay big significance to when you are coming up with future uh, projects? Was it, you wouldn't, I wouldn't even have considered something like that, getting started. 
What busking turf was? No, the 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 the, the scenery, the actual aesthetics oh, of yeah. it. You know, the whole yeah, like, like Chris, you can't plan uh, for that. You can't plan for all of a sudden a uh, five hundred million shopping centre being built and yeah, and like Christy grew a beard as well. Christy moved down to London and grew a beard, and then I would occasionally ring him up and be like, "You've got to come back up to Leeds. I need to get a shot of you walking out of this." you know this shop where you work or something because i've edited it together and i realized i'm missing just this one shot and i'm like sorry you've got he's to, got to uh, sh you've got to shave your beard and he and, he's, and he, he like his weight like he, he you know he started running and he'd like lost like five stone but you know you know in the final film you don't notice so no, it's you all, don't. It I, until you've said that i i didn't pick up on anything like that do you feel that you your brother and him will work again work, work i think so yeah again, sorry because yeah. your brother's in Canada, Christie's London, your Leeds. Quite is yeah. it quite difficult to to get yourself all over one project again? Yeah, I think I'm I'm sure we will at some point in future in the future. But um, you know, as you say, we're all in different parts of the world. But my brother, he's um, he's just got like a, a load of funding for his next film, and um, and Christie's like doing his. Uh, musical comedy and yeah, he's and stuff. So, talk to me a bit about that. Is he doing stand up? It kind of. I think he started doing stand up, but um, he couldn't quite figure out what kind of stand up he wanted to be. But he's he's always been really musical. Um, so he got like a loop pedal, uh, and he does these like live. You know, creates music on the spot, like like a comedy um, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. No, he's got a presence about him. You can tell. You can tell. That's what was so good about the busking turf wars is, and maybe that's well, yeah, definitely that's what um, the film festivals will have seen. It's not about the money, as uh, some comments have been coming, and I think it's. Uh... while people are watching it on zoom that yeah, could be a yeah, cool yeah. thing there's different ways where you could get people if you're looking to still monetize it um pay for a personal screening as well um, <laughs> so there's different ways that you could definitely do it but i think a commentary angle would be amazing because it i just wouldn't want it to just you've put so much into it and as i say it was a real it's a real like camaraderie around it i remember prince uh he told me when uh, he was working at a port on Call Lane and when you're from the city of Leeds or around the city of Leeds and you recognise so many places, it has that familiar edge to it and it just felt like the city was rooting for it. I remember and, when the stage <laughs> when I came into it, it just felt like everyone was on it. It was like, yeah, there's this and they're doing this and they're So it just, it'd be a shame for it to just sort of just linger or dwindle yeah. somewhere. And, and obviously like the final, the, the final section of the film takes place in a porto and I worked there at the time and it's just like, so many random people like actually even playing roles and stuff like, oh, that's him, that's him, that's him. Yeah. And on the, on the Brigitte scenes, there's like, because obviously I spent months just watching it. I always spot people in the background, like just walking down Brigitte, like, oh, there's him. <laughs> people who don't even know that they're in the film, but they are. That's it. I know you had Mickey P. Care as well, busking at start as well. You always, you always tell me this, but I've, I've never seen him. I, I don't know well, where he is, isn't it? It's like the first scene or something, and he's just like strumming away. But does he not have like? Does he not have the curly hair that he's got now? Yeah, he's got curly hair. 
I need to watch it again. Because obviously I know what Mickey looks like. I've seen him on, on here and on like Britain's Got Talent and stuff, but I've never seen him in the film. Honestly, right. When that comes up in the comments, you're just like, Ben Random, he's spotted yeah. that. There you there go. He is. Wait, wait, wait. I yeah. mentioned it. Perfect, perfect. Well, you know, like when, it, when you've sort of done something like that, is it hard to find work in a, a paying role still within the industry because you've, you've managed to do it but a lot of people would have maybe had to go back to do a bit of a nine to five that they don't want to do to fund the dream of what they want to create but you've still managed to maintain employment within the industry so how was that uh, that step into that um it's always just in different in different roles like i've when i used to work in like tv dramas it was in the camera department like right at the bottom of the camera department um and then now I'm working in the script department. So you just, I'm just, you know, doing what I can to keep it ticking over. But um, no, I'm not quite at the stage where people are paying me to direct yet. But that is obviously the goal. But uh, you're still managing to maintain yourself within the industry. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to, um, like, even no matter what production you're working on, I'm, I'm learning stuff. Like, I never watch um, soaps. But I am learning stuff on Coronation Street, like watching the directors and because um, it's the speed at which they film. Like we film like 41 pages of script a day, which is like, you know, essentially like 41 minutes of screen content. And you would, ne you would be lucky to film four minutes of content like on a feature film in a day, you, if that. Would you, would you be able to take that across, like that efficiency of it? Because we had a Chris Fountain on. Um, who was Tommy in Coronation Street and Justin in Hollyoaks. And he was telling me that the way that scenes are so disjointed where you could have it where him and Michelle Keegan were shouting at one another because they'd had like this raging argument. And then the scene after was in the show's sense of story two days before. So they're all lovey-dovey. And he's like, what's crazy is they have, no matter what, what happens, they have to turn that show out. They have to. They have to produce it. Like, yeah. so is that something that you, you can take with the efficiency, or do you think the slow natured pacing of a feature film would still be there? But it's like it's not. You say slow natured, like even when when you are filming something that's not like so, it it never feels slow. Like it still feels just as fast, but it's just you kind of you kind of less less forgiving of or if it doesn't look perfect or, you know, you spend a lot more time on the lighting and the blocking and stuff, but that's not, I'm not disrespecting soaps, but like they just have to keep moving because it's going to be on telly like in a few weeks time, like they've just got to keep moving. Um, but yeah, I think definitely I'll, I'll, I'll try and bring some of that pace um, to my next project, but you, you've always got to keep one eye on like, I want this to look as good the as it quality. possibly can. Who, yeah. who do you look? Who do you look up to? Which screenwriters and uh, yeah, people associated with film? Who do you look up to? <clears throat> um, like no, I'm not that much of a cinephile. Like no one, you love no one. Really, like, super. Like I like David Fincher. I like uh, you know Michael Mann, Wes Anderson. Like just kind of the 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 populist uh, filmmaker. You know Quentin Tarantino, um, Spike Jones, people. People like that, like, um, I'm not, I'm not super into like, you know, real hard work art house movies. 
what got you into it? Where did your interest come and do you remember when you were younger, uh, when you when you knew it's what you wanted to pursue? Um, we just always, as a family, we just always, like every Saturday night, we'd watch a movie, go down to Blockbusters and rent a movie and like eat pizza and watch a movie. Uh, as a family, so how, and how old is how more how much older is your brother than you? Uh, four years older, and he uh, he went to uni uh, to become a lawyer, like got a law degree, and then and then we both just decided, oh no, we'd rather try and make movies. So was that like a collective conversation that you both had, where you just felt because one thing that I I don't know. Um, what it isn't really why why it is like this rather but if you're not in the right environment you don't think that things are possible to be done and uh, when i was speaking with danny deville he's a director from bradford he was saying the same like growing up from that area at that time it didn't feel like you could be an actor you could be a director you could almost you could see these things on tv or the big screen but it didn't it never really etched in your mind that you could be one of those people that could actually be doing that. It was just always some, what other people did. So do you, was the, do you remember that conversation when you were both like that with each other where you were like, you know what, this is something I, we, we should actually pursue and, and that was the passion that you wanted to follow? It's just like, uh, you just do it because it's what you want to do and, and you love it. Like, you're, you're the same. Like, you, you would be doing what you're doing even if, even if it wasn't having any results, even if there was no feedback. Like, you just that's just what you want to do and like there's nothing gonna deter you from that from that course so you know i've had a you know a tiny amount of, of of recognition but even if it even if it doesn't go any more than this i'm still just gonna keep keep trying and keep making movies and even like the strangest case that was made for like two thousand pounds if i could find someone else every few years to give me two thousand pounds to make a movie I, you know i'll be happy What's amazing again is like the recognition that your work's already been received though. Like that must show you that you have something because the projects that you've done have all been recognised on some some level. Yeah, and I think I've got like a bit of like self self doubt. Like I only I, the strangest case, I only sent that to Leeds Film Festival because I live in Leeds, and I thought, oh, you know, why not? And then off the back of that, it got because Leeds Film Festival's. Uh, BAFTA accredited so then we submitted it to BAFTA and it got long listed for a BAFTA and I don't know how long this long list is but it's it's you know it's almost the short list um so that was just like a bit of a wake-up call like I should have definitely been pushing this film a lot harder and been a lot more proud of it um so I think next time I'm I'm not gonna take any prisoners so is that again the motivation within the next projects that that you'll feel that's that's the angle you want to take it? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's always good to to have a goal, even if it's a superficial goal. Like I want to get nominated for this, or I want to like it's just something. It's just something to aim at, and I think that's always helpful because when you lose your way, you can just like look towards that. Like that's what I was after. It'd be. Kinet, do you know Ibi Knut? Knut? That's, Ibi? That's, Ib that's Ibrahim. Ah, yes, easy, brother. Respect. Yeah. This is Louis Le Prince, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> He's put Ian McKellen knows about Stranger, Stranger's Case. Yeah. Uh, Good well, Russell Brand as well. Yeah, well, that's how uh, the guy who provided the funding for 
Strangers Case, I'd heard him on Russell Brand's podcast talking about Shakespeare and talking about this um, British black and Asian Shakespeare database that he made that's like a big history of all the contributions made by black and Asian actors to Shakespeare performances. So I emailed him and said, oh, oh rang him, sorry, and said, we want to make this film with a, an, an Asian actor in the lead role and it's a Shakespeare adaptation. Um, so he provided the funding for the movie and then once it was all finished, he sent it to Russell and Russell Brand did a tweet about it saying like, oh, I love this film, which was, which was great because me and him are big fans of Russell Brand. That's that's crazy, man. Like, it, it, there must be a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> How many of those coronas have you had, mate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it must... Stuff like that must, again, build your... You know, you said, like, it can be a bit self-deprecating on yourself as in putting stuff out, but stuff like that must show you that you're on the right path. You you know, you have got an ability. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, Um and then Ibrahim, because um, Ian McKellen's been quite famous performing this same speech that we adapted the film from. So uh, me and Ibrahim have always said, like, oh, it'd be great to get Ian McKellen to see it. And then Ibrahim took it on as a bit of a personal project and just, like, kept hammering away with emails. And then eventually one of Ian McKellen's daughters or something, like, sent him an email, like, yes, Ian's seen it. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we got there. We did it. That's amazing, man. And then I suppose the final few from me is in this downtime with your projects, do you tend to put a deadline on stuff or do you think that there should be a freedom with creativity? Because that can work both ways because if there isn't a deadline, it could just keep dwindling. But then if you put a deadline on it and you put that pressure, it could almost contaminate the quality. So how do you yeah. find that balance? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm quite harsh on myself. Like I've suddenly got completely free time, nothing on my schedule, and I still just feel just as as anxious and just as busy as I was when I had not very much time. So I think partly it's just in my head, like you've just got to make the time productive, even if it's an hour or if it's 10 hours. Um, but in terms of deadlines, no, I don't. I think as long as it's still ticking away, like I'm working with a producer on this um, knife crime film, uh, and he's, um, you know, like cracking the whip and making sure I'm doing stuff. So that's good. Um, but no, I don't think we have any specific deadlines in mind. And the final one for me is how do people or how do you sort of acquire your, um, your cast? Um, like, I've never had particularly a lot of money to play with in terms of cast. So I've always just cast projects either from people I know, like, you know, around Leeds, who have got something about them, or from um, Star Now, this website called Star Now, which is a, like a, a casting website, and it's got some kind of ropey people on, like, it's not for, like, the absolute professional actors, but you've, you find some absolute gems in there, like, that's where we found Ibrahim, and uh, he came he came down to audition, and, like, he thought it was like a hidden camera show. He thought it was like a prank show because he couldn't believe that, like, we actually were wanting to put him in this pilot episode. What did um? Do you think there's anything more to come from treading? Uh, I don't think so. No, it was, it was, it was. You know, I was really proud of it, and and um, 
but I just don't think a pilot episode it, it's got to really tell you what you've got to watch it and know what all the episodes are going to feel like off the back of that whereas treading kind of was a bit a bit meandering like it what if i if you watched it and i said okay what does what what does episode 2 feel like i don't think you'd be able to tell me whereas if you watch the first episode of the mighty boosh or something you you'd have a pretty good idea of what the rest of it was going to feel like i don't know i think when i watched treading and uh, Ibrahim's put do you want more treading and yeah if i've got a bigger part <laughs> No, I, I enjoyed yes, it. I, really... I, watched, I, watched, I watched your little bit this morning because when you said, oh, you should share that you're going to come on, I was like, oh, maybe I should share that clip of Ben in, uh, ben in Treading. But you, you absolutely, you absolutely nailed it. That's one of my favourite parts. Are you finished with the <laughs> battleships? Yeah. <laughs> that, I'd come, I've come from an all-nighter as well on that. I don't think I'd slept. Oh, really? Well, you couldn't tell. You looked fresh as the day. Just rock and roll, you know what I mean, mate? Me and Liam Gallagher rock and roll, that's what we do. But, um, yeah. no, to, to sort of give you an analogy on that, I think if I were to, if I were to look at um, Treading, it was clearly a bit like uh, Busking Turf was, really, where Christie's character, he, he was trying to make a bit more of his life. Like, it's yeah. just... And, and yeah, I, 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 I'd have seen it that it was getting in more different encounters and, you know, was it to follow the band angle or was it not and you know go well, after his I didn't, season uh christy christy wrote it i didn't i didn't write it i just directed it so i think it would have felt like I, I entered it into a few festivals but i think it would have felt a bit strange if I, it, I was the main one like pushing it it was kind of christy's baby and i don't know i think he just he, he was really proud of it but i think he was just keen to get on to the on. next project and and you know try something else out do you think that's important knowing when to leave projects behind because as i say going back to busking surf wars there's so much passion and love and energy that's gone into it like when do you know when to leave something behind yeah yeah i know that's that's a million dollar question i don't know i think you know though like i i know like i had a real fun time with busking surf wars but i'm not I'm not like, oh, we should make a sequel or anything like that. I think you know when it's like kind of run its course and if there's anything more to be mined there. I think that could be developed into a TV show. I really like the guy who was, um, shout out Ricky Burwell in group. Um, I really like the guy who um, was the arch nemesis. Will, uh, yeah. He was yeah, in Will. Treading as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he played, uh, he played the coffee shop owner in Treading. Yeah. Yeah, I, you see, I think I think Busking Surf Wars could be made into a TV show, adapted. Yeah, well, I'll let I'll let you. Well, you you you've got. I'll give you the copyright. You can do whatever you want. That's all I've ever wanted. You <laughs> all ever wanted to appear on this, and that's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> no, honestly, brother, it's got something about it. Do you know? I'll get in it. I'll get Mickey Peeker. <laughs> yeah, get him in it again. <laughs> I will, but honestly, I think it's got legs. But yeah, I suppose when you know, when you've invested so much into something, you know when it's good to to like step away from it. So fair, and also that then gives you more space to create new stuff and your new projects sounding exciting, especially the uh, Louis Le Prince one. Yeah, you're not feeling the you're not feeling the knife crime one. I'm feeling it. I'm fully feeling it. <laughs> it's just, I, just I, a I bit like, a bit dour for these the dark nah, times. Do you know? Do you know what? Right, like. I know it's probably a cliche to bring this example up, but 
you know, when you watch something as gritty as Top Boy, like, that could have been a documentary for a lot of it. It felt so real. It was, it was, it was visceral, wasn't it? It was like, whoa, like, this is, like, a side of London that is familiar for so many and hidden from so many. So something like what you're on about, and especially when we spoke about it, the nuances where what you want people to take away and the sort of sub, the, the subplot of it almost, society's responsibility almost because the miners I really like that I just I just I think for me uh, the film with the Lula Prince is because of the whole Edison angle I think it could be rather flamboyant and playful and almost um, almost uh, Phileas Fogg yeah, uh, you know, like uh, around the world in eighty days vibe if, like that. If you go on, um, if you go on Wikipedia, there's like four different theories for how he died, and like one of them is the one you said, and then there's another that he commits suicide, and then there's another that like his his brother killed him for his money. So like it'd be fun to kind of just almost rewind the film and play yeah. out each one of these different scenarios. That'd be but amazing. At the end, That'd still be cool. That'd yeah. be well cool. And almost, do you remember the books? Choose your own adventure as a kid. Yeah. So you could, yeah, 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 well so you've got your one you've got your one path and then it could like intersect with it. Yeah, that'd be that'll be really fun to get involved with actually. Yeah. Well, maybe there's our collaboration. I've already got the copyright, so alternative ending cost shoots me in the back alley. <laughs> but uh no, I I'd you know, I'd love to get involved with the Lula Prince project. So uh if if you're up for that as well, let me know, mate. Yeah, like yeah absolutely. Well you cool. you'll have to you'll have to take your piercings out there to be uh time so so that we believe that you're a man in the uh nineteen hundreds. I'll uh I'll uh I'll airbrush it out. All right, okay. <laughs> Those are my terms on my rider. Uh, but right. no, of course we could definitely do something like that. But uh, no, fair. Brother, uh, oh, so many great ideas fly around. Respect to Mary Proppins who's been getting involved. And thank you for everybody who's been getting involved in the chat. I'm just scrolling through, see if there's any other questions that have come through. But uh doesn't look like just some com just some pointers, really. But brother, thank you very much for your time. I'm glad that uh, you changed your mind in the bath. I'm glad yeah. me and Harry. I'm glad me and Harry changed your mind in the bath. It was a great time. <laughs> just was a great joining chat. in. That sounds as wrong as it is. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I, I hope your mum managed to get to watch it as well. Yeah. Well, I think she might have to watch it on Facebook later in the week. But uh, I think she's going to give me a telling off now for uh, being so rude. <laughs> yeah, it's you know very big balls on here, and then you get. <laughs> yeah. But now, nah, man, honestly, I want to just conclude by saying, you, you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't underplay yourself, mate, because, you know, the stuff that you are doing, it is getting noticed. And not only that, there's a lot of people that are supporting what you do. Like, there's a lot of energy that's sent towards you because there's a lot of belief in your ability and what you're able to produce. So, you know, be upbeat about what you're doing, mate, because you have got ability at it, man. You definitely have an uh, army to support it, definitely, and getting involved as well. So keep up the good fight, my brother. Stay safe through these times. Enjoy right, back at you. the projects that come through. And uh, yeah, let's see if we can collab with some other bits as well, man. You're a shining light in this in these in these times. I love what you're doing. Thank you, brother. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to do. Thank you. You take it easy. All right, take care, buddy. Peace. There we are. Pete letting us know about his 
feelings and uh, goings on in the film world and where he wants to be and how he's been finding it with his independent projects. So uh, yeah, thank you for everybody who's been in the actual group. Uh, if I didn't get to read any comments out, apologies about that. Um, I'm going to be concluding this interview and then starting another chat in 10 minutes with a lady called Sarah Story, who is a presenter on Capital FM, also a singer. She's actually unbelievable. She's like the queen. She, she's wifey material, definitely. Uh, so definitely um, clock onto that at six. I'm Ben Random. This is Loose Lips. All the chats that I've been doing will be up on my YouTube channel, which is called Pop cult sheet and if you're new to loose lips what it is it happens on a monday and a wednesday when i speak with varying different people from all sort of backgrounds just to get their story and inspire people during this time stay safe stay cool stay indoors we'll get through it and we'll be stronger for it at the other side peace